Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Hi, good morning. How are y'all? You all good? It's good to have you with us. Welcome to everyone joining us online. Welcome to everyone in VR. I'm glad to have you with us. And uh, you might be wondering, Josh, why are you holding a mace? Um, I'll tell you why. Uh, because 15 years ago, I was in Ukraine, actually, and um, spent a couple weeks there uh, on a missions trip, and while I was there, um, I was the pastor for my church back in Minnesota at the time, and I'd taken a group there uh, to a sister, a ch- sister church of ours in Ukraine. I spent two weeks there, a couple weeks, maybe three, I don't remember, um, it was it was funny, I, I stayed with the senior pastor, uh, Peter, is his name, and uh, I didn't speak a word, <laughs> a lick of Ukrainian or Russian, and um, so it was two weeks of charades, and uh, we, <laughs> we got really good at acting out and uh, trying to describe things to one another, but I really, you know, I just came to really love them and their culture and, um, and the church there, and um, what was fascinating is that at the well, so many things were amazing. You hear the stories. If you hear any of the stories of the people who were over the age of 40, they have a story to tell before the Iron Curtain came down. There wasn't a guy in that church who didn't have scars on his body from the torture from being a Christ follower when it was the USSR. They told stories. When we were there, we did a baptism in the day. But they told stories about how, hey, back in the day, we, we never could do this in the daytime before the Iron Curtain came down. He said, we would come out two in the morning in the middle of the winter and we'd cut a hole in the middle of the ice to baptize people. It was the only time we could do it and uh, get away with it because no one's looking for you out in the rivers in the middle of winter. And so if you want a story for what it's like to be a Christ follower um, in a country that's not friendly to Jesus, they all had stories of it. And so for the last, you know, however many years it's been, 30 years, they've uh, had a different style of being able, and freedom of worship. And that's when I was there. At the end of my time of being there, uh, Pastor Peter brought me up in front of the congregation at church. He goes, Josh. So he talked. We say my name, Josh. Josh. And then he went on to say, Josh, you're a strong man, but uh, you're like Moses. He goes, I don't have a staff for you, but I have a mace for you. <laughs> he goes, if you could do something for us when you go back, and that is regularly lead your people into battle spiritually for us. And I thought, well, that's something that's very practical right now. So it's Ephesians chapter 6 says, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And um, I've been uh, emailing and messaging Peter, as well as uh, his son-in-law, who's also Pastor Vadim. And um, it was just it was kind of mind-blowing. Just two days ago when Vadim emailed me, he said, yeah, th- uh, three missile strikes hit our town this morning. 
town side of size of Lake Geneva. Can you imagine just being able to say that? Yeah, three missile strikes this morning in our town. One at the railroad tracks that go to uh, the, the capital, uh, one at a military base, one just in, in the town center. One casualty. And um, the next day, he goes, yeah, our church, uh, we, we housed about 40, 50 people on their way uh, as refugees on their way out. I mean, we just don't quite get it. Well, last, um, well, yeah, this morning I saw a video of Pastor Peter leading his church this morning in prayer and all of them on their knees just praying. They're praying for peace and they're praying for God to just work. Um, Vadim sent me this and I just want to read it to you in terms of what they're asking us to pray for. He said, friends, it's about time for us here to go to sleep. So this is now their Sunday. We're currently safe, but there are people in Kiev who are in other big cities near the, you know, uh, cities that are spending the night in subways and other bomb shelters. We want to share a couple of things. Prayer works. From what we hear from the news, the Lord is protecting our military and gives them victories over and over. Ukraine has been a hub for many Western ministries since the fall of the Iron Curtain. I'm pretty sure that in addition, in addition to Ukrainian Christians, Christians all over the world are praying for us these days. God is in control. God works in the lives of Christians and non-Christians. Many children of God are fasting in Ukraine at this moment, deepening their relationship with the Lord. And we also hear stories of people praying and reading the Bible who are not yet followers of Christ yet. His spirit is working in the lives of our nation. Ukrainians are strong, and I'm proud of my people who are united as they've never before. I'm really grateful to the Lord for our military. Their bravery is off limits, and it's actually a miracle that not one major city yet is occupied at the moment. Ukrainian military controls um, all of the, our territories. God is merciful. I love that he wrote this. Despite all the sins and transgressions of, Ukrainian, of the Ukrainian people, and believe me, there is a lot of this in our country, God still miraculously is saving our troops, civilians, and is having mercy upon our people. And we don't deserve it. For me, it's just the grace of our Lord Jesus. Please, as you've worshiped today, pray for us. Pray this. Praise God for his grace and ask for his mercies on our people. We need and we want peace. What's amazing is to hear how uh, throughout the week his prayer has not just been for Ukraine, but it's for the church in Russia. It's for Russians in general. It's for Putin. It's, for, it's amazing their perspective, which is all about that people would come to know Christ through this. And um, I love that, man, it's just kind of humbles, well, really humbles me to see a video of, all, of Pastor Peter on his knees this morning with all of his congregation. I'm going to take a knee on behalf of us. I know if I asked you to take a knee, well, we don't really have kneelers here, so I'm aware of that. And if I asked you to take a knee, half of you wouldn't get back up. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'll take a knee on behalf of us, but I'm just going to ask that you would um, pray with me for the nation of Ukraine. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that here we can be around the world and our prayers are effective. Scripture says in the prayers of the righteous are not forsaken. They're effective. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would work right now in a miraculous way in the crisis that's happening right now in, between Russia and Ukraine. 
We pray, Lord, that you would bring peace. I don't even know how that's possible, but you have a solution from your kingdom that's beyond my understanding, and I pray for the shalom of heaven to land upon that nation as well as upon Russia. Pray for the Christians on both sides of the border, that they would be strengthened and courageous right now, that they would have a peace that surpasses understanding, that they would know you deeply and love you more. Lord, we pray most of all that people would come to know you. As Vadim talks about, people are reading the Bible and people are reaching out um, to find out more about God. In your kingdom economy, it's amazing what you might allow for souls to come to you. And yet, Lord, I know that it's also part of your kingdom economy that peace rules, that in heaven there is no war. And so, Lord, uh, you taught us to pray. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and there is no war in heaven. Peace upon every person who's holding a gun today who never wanted to, who never signed up for it. Peace upon the 150,000 refugees who left their homes and left their 18 to 60-year-old husbands and sons behind. Peace to those who are staying to care for whoever might get wounded, no matter which army they represent. Jesus. I pray that the gospel would somehow break through the chaos of our world. That the truth of Jesus Christ that he loves everyone equally, that he sacrificed his life for everyone the same, that he offers salvation to everyone, no matter which side of political, no matter where they land on a political spectrum, or no matter which nation they were born into or they align with. At the end of the day, God is, that Jesus is in the business of changing citizenship from any nation on earth to his kingdom. God, would you do a work that would transfer citizenships from earth to heaven as people trust you. And so, Lord, all we can do sometimes in days like this is just say, God, we trust you. We know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are ruler above all things, every nation, over every king, every president, and every uh, army. We're reminded that every time an angel showed up, they said, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and your army was always greater and more victorious and more in control. And so, Lord, we just rest in that reality. We know that you're a good, sovereign God. And so, God, have your way. In Jesus' name. And we all set in agreement. Amen.
Thank you, guys. Oh. All right, all right. I got to say this, because I know there's some of you who are wondering, hey, is there anything we can do? They would, first and foremost, they would ask for your prayers. But then, if you are interested in being able to give in some way, um, Vadim is a part of a ministry called uh, Our Legacy. And um, I'm just going to say because I know them. I know if you do want to be able to give in a practical way to people there on the grounds, knowing it will get into um, hands of those who will use it wisely for real needs, you can text Ukraine to our number or you can just go to the website, ourlegacyus.org, ourlegacyus.org. It will take you, you can go to the donate page. This is what it looks like. I know it's hard to see, but here's all you need to do is you need to just uh, put Ukraine emergency fund down there in the message section because they do have many ministries in many different countries, but that way you can know that it will make it into the right hands, okay? So I just want to let you know that that's a, that's a practical way that you can give if you're interested in giving. All right. Whew. All right, I got like, uh, I don't know, like seven minutes to, or no, 15 to preach. Okay, it'll be good. I'll, I'll just uh, make this happen. Today, is we, we're actually launching into our final month of the God Experiment. If you don't have a copy of, of the book, uh, grab one, because you'll enjoy this last month, and you can go back and finish the beginning stuff. But today, um, we're going to just set the stage for this week, which is going to be talking about this bizarre concept of adoption, adoption into the family of God, and what does that all mean? Um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but my wife and I have many times over where we move to different places, and in time, you build relationships with people who kind of adopt you into their family. So when we were in Joliet, Illinois, we actually shared a driveway with a, a wonderful family, and because we, were, we became such close friends, I mean, it was one of those deals where it's like literally... Um, they invited over, uh, us over to everything that they did. I remember one Saturday morning, I walked downstairs and two little boys are playing my video game system. It's the neighbor kids. They just let themselves in and they're just over playing. And I just thought, you know, it's just so sweet. Kind of that's that level of like family, if you will. And uh, if they had anything happening with their family, we were always invited on over. And, but then, and, and that happened when we were in Minnesota. It's happened here. But then there have been these moments in those individuals' lives where kind of life hits the fan. Like life hits the fan and everyone hops on the phone and they start calling in all the family members to arrive. And on those days, I always assumed, well, we're like on there, we're like over there for like every family event, they're going to call us. But the phone call never came. Now I don't say that to like <laughs> pity me or anything like that or feel bad for me. It was this kind of realization like, oh yeah, this really is a family affair and I'm not a part of the family. Now, as much as I felt like I'm an adopted part of the family, in the end, it was like, I'm not a part of the family. And I felt this kind of solidifying idea of like, oh yeah, I'm not really a part of the family. And I think, unfortunately, many Christians feel that way in the family of God. Like in general, they would say, oh yeah, I'm a part of the family of God until something really, like, but if God has a major crisis, like something overseas, well, God's probably rallying the family on in. He's probably calling the pastors, the missionaries, maybe my impact community leader or my huddle leader, that type of thing, but he's probably not calling me because, quite frankly, I'm on the outskirts of the family. Maybe a distant second, third, fourth, you know, cousin or something like that. But they, but they kind of distance themselves going, I don't think I'm that close into the Family, but that idea couldn't be further from the truth. That's just not true at all. There's this crazy concept in scripture about what it means to be a part of the family. It's this idea of, of adoption. 
And if I could contrast it, the opposing perspective, and it's what unfortunately what many what many Christians carry, it's kind of a spirit of uh, as an orphan or a perspective as an orphan. So what's the difference? Or an orphan, they might be invited to hang out with the family. They might even be cared for by the family for a season of time. Um, they might feel like they're kind of a part of the family. But uh, at the end of the day, if life ever hits the fan, things get crazy. Um, the devil kind of whispers in your ear. If you carry this orphaned mentality where you, uh, the devil whispers, well, of course you're alone. Because you've always been alone. You're an orphan. You might hang out with the family, but you don't belong to the family. You're not really a part of the family. And the problem is if there's this underlying belief that you, can't, that, like, you can hang out with the family of God, but you're not really a part of the family, uh, and you accept that mindset, that orphaned mindset will have a profound effect upon your walk with the Lord. It really will. I've said this many times before. Whenever you leave the concept of family, you leave the concept of the kingdom of God. Now here's where things get dicey and tricky, is that some of us have really messed up family systems. And so what happens, it's just unintentional. A lot of times we project our maybe messed up family systems upon God's family and we assume that there's some brokenness within it and then we actually get an incorrect picture of the kingdom of God as a result. And what we have to do is we have to say, no, I'm not gonna project anything broken from my family upon his family or his kingdom. We've gotta say, all right, God, help me redefine what family looks like so that I can get an accurate picture of what the kingdom looks like. And so what do we do? Well, we've got to go to scripture and help us wrap our heads around what does this picture of adoption really look like? So let me just read a few verses to you. I have a tech issue, so I'm preaching off a of paper. You ever, I'm like trying to move it. You ever, I've been preaching off an iPad for like 10 years. You ever like do this to the newspaper or do a, a actual picture? You're like, why is that not getting bigger? You know, I'm the, if, so if you see me all day up here kind of doing this, I'm like, why is this not moving? You know, it's like, that's what's happening. Okay, so let me read some passages of scripture. All right. Uh, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. We covered this a few weeks ago, this, this verse actually, where it's, it says sonship. It applies to both men and women, but the point that it's highlighted as a son is important because in Jesus' day, the son, the oldest son, would be the one who would receive the inheritance. And so in this, he is saying, listen, for the children of God, this is important because you actually receive the inheritance as if you're the firstborn son, which matters, okay? So he predestined us for adoption to sonship, meaning you get the best men and women of the family of God through this adoption, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him, we have redemption through his blood. When he says this, he's anchoring the reality of how adoption to his kingdom is made possible. He says, when he says through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, he's pointing to the cross. Saying that's what happened at the cross. He paid for our sins. Jesus poured out his blood for us to pay for our sins so that we might receive forgiveness for our sins and have a restored relationship with our heavenly father. Because sin broke that relationship. The reality is God is holy. That means perfect. We are sinful. God can't have a relationship with sinful man. So he goes, how do I deal with sin? So that now I can have a right relationship with man. Well, I've got to deal with it. Jesus said, I'll deal with it. And he took our sin upon himself at the cross, paid for our sin at the cross, so that we could now be adopted into sonship or into the family. Okay, now this starts in Ephesians 1. 
Ephesians 2, he's going to kind of continue the conversation. He says this, he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He's talking about the difference between the Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentiles who were far from God, the Jews who might have felt like they were close to God. For through him, being Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also, I love that he adds this on here, members of his what? Of his household. He goes, it's bigger than just changing your citizenship from the domain of the enemy to God's kingdom. He goes, I want you to understand that you're actually being invited into a family, into, our, into a household. You got to catch this because it, it, it changes how, how you view him, changes how you view kind of your position in the family. My, my kids regularly have friends on over to our, our house. And what's funny is there are some kids who come on over and they're definitely just kind of act like they're guests. And then there are others who come on over and they kind of make themselves at home. Like uh, just a couple weeks ago, there was this boy over and uh, I loved it. I just had a big smile on my face when he started reprimanding uh, my younger kids. He was like disciplining them. He's like, hey, you can't do that. And he's like punishing them. <laughs> he's like calling out the younger kids. And then at the end of dinner, he gets up after dinner and he goes on over and he starts doing the dishes. And I was like, this kid's awesome. He's like disciplining the younger kids. He's doing chores. I kind of want to make a swap with some of my other kids. You know, like... This is great. And uh, no, I'm totally joking. <laughs> I would never swap. But, but I love it because what it, it showed was this level in which he's just like, he made himself at home. And here, here's the deal. When it comes to the kingdom of God or heaven, if you have this perspective that uh, you're, that you're going to enter into heaven, but almost like a guest and only as a guest, you've got it all wrong. It's time for you to make yourself at home in heaven. To understand that while you may not currently be there, it's actually yours now as a part of the family, as you're part of his household. I really believe that someday this is what's going to happen. Christ followers are going to enter into heaven and it will be the most familiar place that you've never seen. You're going you're gonna to have a knowledge, a, a complete clarity and knowledge of understanding of something that you've never seen seen before and yet you will be acutely aware of how it's always been yours because you're a part of the family of God and the sooner that you make it, it your home now and recognize it make yourself at home that's what his adoption into the family into the household did for us and then it even takes it further. I love how Romans chapter 8 describes it. This is the last verse I'm going to read to you. Romans 8, verse 15. It says this, The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, you received, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Let me just talk about this for uh, a couple different aspects here. This adoption to sonship, once again, he's reiterating this. I think what sometimes happens, just is once again, it's unintentional, is I think sometimes we, we picture uh, sonship or our adoption process maybe almost like us on a spectrum. Kind of like uh, there's this child 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1.0, 1
1.0. Like, I'm, I'm a part of the family of God, but barely accepted. Now, I know I've, I've done this many times where I've often described the spiritual spectrum kind of as a spectrum. Like, imagine someone way over here who's far from God and someone way over there who's incredibly close and loves God deeply with all their heart. And right here in the middle is the cross. That's, that's a decision point around the cross. And then once you say yes to Jesus, and you're not like this mature believer, you're kind of a baby. An infant believer. And you might say, I'm a spiritual infant or the spiritual child or a spiritual young adult or a spiritual parent. Somewhere on that spectrum. And here's the deal. is that Sometimes what we do is we, we assume that the spiritual spectrum of maturity, the spectrum of growth, is the same or equal to the spectrum of acceptance. And it's not. There is no spectrum of acceptance. You want to know what it looks like? I was lost and now I'm found. Done. That's it. There's, there's not, and, and yet what we sometimes do is we look at the spiritual spectrum and we apply it to acceptance. And we go, well, I'm a spiritual child 1.0. So I'm like, I might be, I'm accepted as part of the family, but barely. And when, maybe when I make it to 2.0 child, like a little upgrade, a little closer to God, then I get a little bit more love from God, maybe a little bit more blessing, a little bit more protection from God as a child of God. And then 3.0, a little bit more, 4.0, a little bit more, 5.0, well, what do you know at that point? Well, then you're a super mature follower of Christ. I get like the inside scoop to the closeness of God, that type of thing, and I'll get invited into the close parties. And this is not how it works. In terms of acceptance, it's I was lost and now I'm found and I'm part of the family fully accepted. And then he goes on to describe it in this verse. And he goes, so this acceptance brings every single one of us, not some of us, not just those of us who are closest to God. It's every one of us who has made Jesus our Lord and Savior. By him we can now cry out what? Abba, Father. Paul uses a Greek word here to just, that he applies to, the, to, to God that he really doesn't use many other places throughout Scripture. This is only a few places does he mention this phrase. And Abba is the most intimate term in all of Scripture ever applied to God because it literally means daddy. It's this super intimate term, daddy. I don't know if you ever called your earthly father, daddy. If you did, you probably only did it when you were young. It was probably when you thought your dad could do no wrong. He was your hero. And, and like, you know, just like it was, or, or it was these moments as when you're a young kid, you just kind of cuddle up and you just want to sit in your daddy's arms. You just want to cuddle with him. The apostle Paul uses it to say, hey, this is what you've been invited into. This super intimate relationship. I've got, uh, you know, with my nine kids, I lay my kids down at night. And with the younger ones, I still go and I, I, give, them all these, I give them all hugs. And uh, I try to do that with my older ones. They just don't always accept it <laughs> as they get older. But with the younger ones, I've got a seven-year-old son. And my seven-year-old son, every night as I give him a hug at night, I, I, I wrap my arms around him. And I try to do this every single night. I try to extend the hug. Just make it a little bit longer than a, hey, buddy, good night. I extend it, and here's why. I, I want him to know that I actually love him. And as I extend that hug and I hold him tight, maybe about half the time, this is what happens. I hold him, and he's like squiggling a little bit. And then once he realizes, oh, I'm hugging him, he settles in, and his body kind of goes limp. His head's always right here beside mine. And it kind of settles in, his chin right there. And he always goes, hmm. And then he goes, I love you, Daddy. 
and he just kind of rests. Now, that's half the time. You want to know what happens the other half time? I hug him. He's squiggling. And I hug him. I try to extend it. But you want to know what he is? He's a typical seven-year-old boy. He's distracted. He's got things going through his head. He's looking at the toy off in the corner of his bed or the toy that's in his hand. He actually, he kind of bounces back and he starts telling me something he wants to tell me. And he's so distracted by either what's in his hand or what's in his head that literally, you want to know what happens? He misses the hug. We went through it, but he missed it. It's as if, almost as if it didn't happen. It did happen. He just it was not really cognitively even letting that thing settle in that, and recognize that it happened. This is what I think actually happens so often in our lives, is that our Heavenly Father is actually a good daddy. He's giving this extended hug to us, and like my seven-year-old son, we a lot of times act like seven-year-olds. We are so distracted by the shiny things of the world, by the things that we're chasing after. We got things in our head. It's the fear we're worried about. It's the things that are distracting us that literally we miss the hug, and we kind of push back, and we go, I just want to talk about, did you know, see what's happening in the world? Did you hear about the news over there? Hey, did you hear what's happening next door with the neighbor? Hey, did you? And you're just like, you're thinking about all these things or the things that you're chasing after and you just missed it. And sometimes what we have to do is we just got to pause and go, man, I was adopted into a family and this is an incredible opportunity for me to just rest in the arms of daddy. And there's something so sweet in the moment where you just go, here I am in the arms of my father. You want to know what happens? Oh, the thing that you were so concerned about in your hand is no longer important. The thing that was consuming your mind seems to just go away. It will no longer overwhelm you. It seems to get aligned when you recognize, oh, here I am in the arms of my daddy. And so I'm just going to close this here in prayer. And um, so if you would bow your heads with me and let's just go and talk to uh, our daddy. Abba Father, Daddy. What a crazy, crazy privilege it is to come, well, first off, to be, that you would make a way for us to be adopted into your household and that we can come and rest in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father. I imagine there actually might be some right now here in this room, some watching online, some maybe in VR, who maybe have never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe this whole idea of being part of the family of God, it's a nice concept, but it's nothing that's been personal yet. And maybe today is the day that you say, all right, I wanna trust Jesus as my Lord. He did something for me that I could become a part of the family of God. It can be a simple prayer like this. You just prayed in your heart. Heavenly Father, Daddy, thank you for sending your son to lay down his life for me at the cross. Today I put my trust in Jesus. I make him my Lord and my Savior. Place your spirit in me. Spirit is the reason why I can come and rest in your arms. I can know I'm never gonna be alone. You'll always be with me. You'll always love me. And I'm forever part of your family. As we continue praying, I imagine there's some here that are having a hard time wrapping their heads around a good daddy in heaven. And so maybe, Lord, just ask 
that you would help us to pause and settle in. Maybe we just need to go, hmm, here we are. Maybe we need to release something that we've been clenching in our hands that's been so distracting to us or an idea that we've been talking about so much that actually we need to just turn over to you. And that the priority is actually just having a relationship with you above everything. Lord, help us this week as we dive into this concept of adoption. Pray that you would bring freedom for so many of us. That we break off maybe a perspective as an orphan and that we realize how the idea as an adopted child changes everything. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.